Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the wizarding world. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And on today's episode, we are joined by a special guest, Mike from Potterless Podcast. Hey, Mike. Hello. How's it going? Good. Great to have you on. Thanks for having me. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about your podcast? Sure. So I never read the Harry Potter books as a kid. So Potterless is the journey of me reading them for the first time as an adult. Started in my mid-20s. I very recently just finished the books. But every episode, I just go through a chapter or a couple chapters uh, chronologically through the book. And I did it as a way to try to point out some things that maybe as kids we don't think about. Like, you know, when there's a murderer running through the school, they just don't send the kids home and stuff like that. So just trying (laughs) to point out things that don't make sense here or there. Um, But eventually, I, I came to just absolutely fall in love with the series and it's been really fun so yeah that's called oh, Potterless awesome. you can check it out anywhere I just finished the books and now I'm doing the movies and then I'll do all the spin-off stuff and I saw Cursed Child which was a play <laughs> uh, so it's uh, it's been fun and now now that I'm a spoiler free boy I can do things like guest on podcasts and talk about Harry Potter and not be worried about getting spoiled so it's mm, great yeah that's great why didn't you get into Harry Potter earlier? Because you're about the same age as we are. Yeah, um, it, it was a couple of different factors. The first of which was that I have an older sister. She's four years older than me. And she was really into magic type books um, and more fantasy stuff. So she, I remember, read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And then my mom tried to get me to read it. And I absolutely hated it. And she told me that Megan liked it. So then when my sister became really into Harry Potter, I was like, no, 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 no. I've seen this happen before. (laughs) Megan likes a magic book. I hate the magic book. I will not read this. I will be reading my sports books instead. Um, So I just avoided it because it wasn't really my my cup of tea genre wise. And then it became so popular that it felt like the only reason I would read it was out of peer pressure or to go along with what everyone else was doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that felt super gross. Yeah. So I'm glad that I had the foresight at age 10 to be like, don't just do things when people think it's cool to do. You can define your own path. <laughs> so I, I'm glad I was a hipster little 10-year-old. Yeah. But yeah, it, it just became it became a thing of just if I was going to read them, it was because people told me to. And then I waited so long that it was uh, I was waiting for some reason to read them. So I told myself, oh, you know, maybe if they make the Harry Potter TV series or something, I'll read them. Um, but then I came up with the idea for Potterless and here we are. Now it's yeah. my job. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I was I was thinking this morning, you are the opposite of Pottermore. Pottermore ah, and Potterless. I, that, like, I mean, oh. that is that is the na- the reason for the name. Um, oh, but, is it? Uh, yes. Yeah. So it was, that was when I was coming up with the idea for it. I wanted it to be some sort of fun pun. So I was like, oh, Pottermore, I can be Potterless, which is like the opposite of Pottermore. But then also I've lived a Potterless life. And I remember yeah. texting my friends who were into Harry Potter saying, here's my idea for the title. Is there a better pun out there that I just don't know because I've never read Harry Potter? And they're all like, no, 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 it's a pretty good one. But yeah. now Pottermore doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. It's just wizarding <laughs> world. I was going to say you've read the book so you can become Pottermore. That's you true. Oh, I should. I, yeah, I should buy Pottermore.com. <laughs> yeah, good luck getting that from WB. I was going to say. <laughs> but yeah, Mike, it was great seeing you at uh, at LeakyCon recently. Yeah, it was super fun. LeakyCon is absolutely delightful. Everyone is just their truest, happiest self. And I love it. I wanted to point out, you did a panel with Chris Rankin that I, that I caught mm-hmm. that was the situation the roles were reversed. It turns out, when did you find out he had never read The Tales of Beetle the Bard? 
I didn't know until right backstage. He was like, because he was a very late addition. I was supposed to have a different guest, but then due to a medical emergency, oh. uh, he filled in, which was great. But uh, backstage, I was like, yeah, we're doing Tales of Beetle Bart. He's like, I've never read it. Is that okay? I was like, yeah, it's actually better probably. It was perfect so. because you had read, <laughs> he had not read, and hilarity ensued. It was awesome. Yeah. I think it's a fun element of of what happened in my show early on and even now like when i'm doing the movie episodes i've intentionally have one guest who has read the books and seen the movies and then one person who's only seen the movies i think just having an element of someone that is new to the thing is fun because then you get genuine reactions which is always funny yeah was there one moment now that you finished reading the books was there one moment that truly shocked you in the harry potter series like what was the biggest moment Oh, there's a lot. The first one that really shocked me was just how quick and sudden Sirius's death was. Yeah. I like he falls through a veil and you're like, okay, he teleported somewhere. Right. Or okay, he's in a pocket dimension or something. And then what's very funny is that the next page of it's the very beginning of the next chapter is Lupin telling Harry, but basically the narrator, yo, no, he's really dead. Uh, and it's like multiple paragraphs of Lupin being like, no, 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 he's gone. So I think that was the biggest one. Um, and then also one that really shocked me was that both Tonks and Lupin died mm -hmm. in book seven, mm -hmm. because that felt excessive. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, we've just had Teddy Lupin be born. And I wouldn't be surprised if one of them dies. But now both of the parents are dead. So uh, it's it's just rough. But <laughs> I, I will sit on my sneaking suspicion that J.K. Rowling is currently writing the Teddy Lupin spinoff series and just hasn't said anything. Because uh -oh. <laughs> he wasn't in Cursed Child. Yes. But he was in the epilogue. Literally almost everything else from the epilogue made it into Cursed Child except for him. And like, how do you leave him out of that play? So I think she's writing her own story and didn't put it in Cursed Child um, so that no one else got their hands on it and she didn't have to, like, keep it to some other story. I'm kind of glad he wasn't in Cursed Child. That way she doesn't make him, like, a secret Death Eater or something. Yeah. <laughs> Justice for Cedric. <laughs> My boy. Oh, God, don't do that. Don't. Don't even. Thank you. Actually, it's it's funny you mentioned Teddy and Cursed Child because there's a new Cursed Child book out, a behind the scenes look oh, at, the, at the it's so bad at the making of the. Wait a second, wait a second. You think the play is bad or the story? Oh, I think the pl I think the play is bad. Um, the 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 real problem is the plot is garbage, but. Yeah. And everything else is really cool, but that would be like if you ate a hamburger and you're like, the meat is really bad, but like the lettuce is awesome. <laughs> like, great. But, <laughs> but the plot is bad. Yeah. It's so important. Yeah. It's still so good to see. But anyway, the, the, there's this new behind the scenes book that is out. And there's actually talk of Teddy Lupin at the beginning of the book because they were uh. trying to get him in to the play. But they were talking about how hard it is to get all these different characters in. Um, because it's such a big show and they already have so many characters involved. So we'll talk about that more next week because they were talking about getting Luna in there as well. Um, uh, but, oh, right. She wasn't in it yeah, either. They tried. Huh. They tried. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah. Because I love Luna. And I'm also, I have a lot of feelings about Cursed Child. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say with, with Teddy, I, I didn't J.K. Rowling say that it was so that the series came full circle? That yeah, you started start with, with an orphan mm -hmm. and ended with an orphan. That's a great mm -hmm. excuse to murder somebody's parents. <laughs> like, oh, it's poetic. Okay, great. Yeah. Here we go. 
I just think it's silly that we're making a book about making a play. It's just so, <laughs> well, it seems but, like there's so many, we got to get as much money out of this well, thing as possible. Well, wait for the tie-in podcast. There's going to be a Cursed Child uh, official. No. Gosh. <laughs> no, that's not allowed. <laughs> anyway, Gosh. all right. So we are going to jump straight into chapter by chapter this week. We're going to discuss Order of the Phoenix Chapter 8, The Hearing. Um, so as always, we will start with our seven word summary and how this works, Mike, is we're each going to contribute a word to a seven word sentence and we don't plan it beforehand. So we just see how it goes. Usually it goes bad. Love it. I love it. That's a great way to set it up. (laughs) It goes bad, but humorously. Yes. Yes. Which is what we're all going. Yeah. Also guys, I'm the last word this week. So please set me up for success. (laughs) Well, you're also in the middle. Oh, we're doing it all one word at a time. Oh, oh, I thought we were each making seven word summaries. This is good. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Word by word, as it were. Oh, amazing. All right. Harry's attacked by fudge. But <laughs> Dumbledore prevails. Yes. Nice. I was going to say rocks. <laughs> Dumbledore rocks. I was going to say intervenes. <laughs> but yeah. That's prevails. great. Hey, I was thinking of prevails. At least we didn't end it with hooray. <laughs> there have been some some That winners. has happened. Yes, that's happened. Yeah. There's been some good ones. It turns out seven words is actually, it, I know we came up with a segment because seven's the most magically powerful number. But it works. They're, like when it's good, it's really good. Mm-hmm. So, so I, obviously, this chapter focuses solely on the trial. It is completely focused on the trial. And I thought, in light of that, I wanted to know: Has anyone here ever been before a judge? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've had something dismissed before it went before a judge. Okay, I, I'm in the same boat. I had a traffic violation once that was complete shenanigans i was pulled over for speeding but there was a thing that i never passed a speed limit sign on my route so i had no idea what the speed limit was yes i went back with my dad driving the car and i feel oh i went like 55 and it was 45 and the guy was like oh no 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 so i went back with my dad driving and me in the passenger seat on a little flip video camera filming the whole thing and i went into iMovie and made a whole thing that i was bringing as my evidence <laughs> oh, nice. to my court case which was set during finals in college so that was a whole stress ball yeah. is that i had took a final had to go to court and then go back to finals but then my police officer uh never showed up so my case got dismissed <sighs> the same thing happened to me i've been to traffic court y'all okay. but i I, st- I stood in front of a judge and yeah. I had to wait for him to say, okay, is anybody present to prosecute or whatever, you know, whatever the whole thing is. And because mm-hmm. it wasn't, and I, you know, you just kind of look down at the floor, you know, hands in your pockets, go, yes, sir, no, sir. Uh, and hopefully they kind of sense the fear of God. Right. I don't know. I, I do get little flashbacks to that once I saw this question in the doc thinking about this chapter. Yeah. Huh. Traffic yeah, court. I, I've actually been arrested. Oh, wh- no, you what? Whoa. <laughs> Really? No, I'm just I just wanted to see the reaction. <laughs> uh. I was about to be like, Micah, there's a story here. Jeez. Yeah. Um, my crime was um rear ending somebody in a BMW. Oh, well, yeah, um, that by, is pretty And evil. by rear ending, I mean like a little tap mm, on the yeah. bumper. Just a love tap. And uh the the driver insisted on like calling the police and like filing a report and making a whole thing out of oh, it. Oh man. Yeah, yeah, and so I went to court, and they were like, okay, is anybody here, like the police officer or the quote-unquote victim, 
to speak about this and they weren't. So they were like, okay, pay a $50 court fine mm-hmm. and you can go home. <laughs> nice. I went before a judge too. I thought I would be the only one who had something to say about this, but we've all been baddies. So go us. <laughs> I, I ran well, a stop sign. I was not a baddie. There was no speed limit sign posted <laughs> from Allen Parkway to Highway 6. <laughs> I have an iMovie to prove it. <laughs> I did. I and It was so funny because this was in... Uh, like tw- 2012 or something so i couldn't just like put it on my phone i had to make it an iMovie and then put it into itunes so that i could download it onto my oh wait, hold on there's an ambulance they're coming, coming, for, yeah, they're you coming right for you now. right now it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i had to download it in iMovie and then put it onto my ipod touch nice. <laughs> so that i could like walk up to the judge and be like look i made a you movie know, i love that the new york police department is listening live to mugglecast right now and is on their way <laughs> yeah i didn't realize they were patrons that's prosecute cool. this felon right. <laughs> it's funny because i feel like they have a lot more to deal with this weekend than mugglecast but yeah okay. there's a marathon going on but you know. There's been some protests as well, from Mike's what I understand. Surprised. Oh, I, yeah, I saw that. Man, that was bonkers. But I've been before a judge, though, for jury duty. I don't know if anybody here has been on jury duty as well, but you do actually have to sit down with the judge and they talk with you. Huh. But nobody like fudge. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. <laughs> right. So, Micah, take us through this chapter. All right. I wanted to start off. This was something that I thought about as soon as I read the first couple sentences of the chapter, and Harry is just kind of sent into this room by himself. It seems a little odd given that he's being charged for using underage magic, but he has to go into this courtroom by himself without Arthur. Does anybody agree with that? It No, yeah, that it does seem unfair. But also when I went before a judge, I don't think I could have a parent there either. So I guess I understand both sides of the Andrew, were you an adult when that happened? Uh yeah. Well, well guess, that okay. explains well, it. Never mind. Oh. <laughs> he is 15. But I still wanted even... my mommy there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, for a wizard, he is still underage. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, they're clearly so. trying to set him up. I mean, we see that throughout yeah. this whole chapter. So It's a smear mm-hmm. job. With that in mind, this is not surprising. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. And, uh, you know, Harry apologizes for being late, and Fudge tells him that's no excuse. We sent an owl. <laughs> and... I want to know where was the owl sent because I don't think they know that he's at Grimmauld Place. So did it go to the Dursleys? Is it like pecking at Vernon's window? (laughs) Yeah, this feels like one of those things when an important document is sent to an apartment you lived in a year and a half ago. (laughs) Yeah. Like that that happened to me once with tax stuff. It was like my my W-2 or I-9, whatever one of those forms when I had a normal job uh, was sent to like some old address that I lived in two years ago because I was in this rotational program for engineering. So I moved every six months and I was like, hey, I need this tax form. And they're like, oh, we mailed it to you. And I was like, where? And they're like, Texas. Like, I haven't lived there in two years. <laughs> like, if, if you wanted to give me this very important document, send me an email. What are we doing? It's 2019. Don't send me mail. Yeah. I don't open mail. Yeah. I do think that they probably picked the slowest owl like if an owl exists if what oh, Fudge yeah. said they picked like they asked percy to borrow errol or something errol. yeah absolutely but do the, i don't even believe that they sent a letter i kind of think that might be bs too which is at, at some point you really have to acknowledge that owls are inefficient when you're talking about a time span of within three hours mm-hmm. like even the fastest owl even the speedy gonzalez of owls is not going to get there in time for you to do anything about it unless you're able to take magical means of transportation and apparate, which they darn well know Harry can't do. Mm-hmm. I, they're also wizards. Can't how is the how are there no like wizard DMs where you just I don't know 
like you just use a spell to be like, hey, Harry, you have a, your court thing is here now. I don't yeah. know. Why are we still writing owls? <laughs> right. I get that this is in the 90s, but like I still had aim in the 90s. Well, I mean, wizards don't have technology, so there's that. But yeah, there should be, you know, like in Deathly Hollows, they use the coins, right, to communicate. So right, and Patronuses. Right. Yeah, and Patronuses, yes. Oh, yeah, someone should have sent a Patronus. Yeah, so th- there, there should be more modern ways of getting messages across. And obviously, owls aren't very secure, too. And that's, that's a reason why Ron and Hermione mm-hmm. don't get to write to Harry very often. So they definitely need a more secure and, and uh, more reliable mode of delivery. Well, they mm. can also call through the flu network. Mm. That's another option they could have used. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, but like, like Laura said, they're, they're setting him up for failure here and they don't really care if the letter actually gets the Harry or not. So maybe they did send the worst out, but I would, th- I would think they didn't send the letter at all, to be honest. Wait. And, and here's the other thing. At some point, your method of communication is more disruptive than the, what Aerie's being charged for. Uh, the Dursleys have a boarded up fireplace, we find out, or we found out in book four. And so anyone who came by flu, flu network would just destroy their living room, uh, just, you know, coming through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then an owl, again, in, a, in broad daylight in a muggle neighborhood, a strictly very muggle neighborhood, also kind of is a little worrisome to the uh, protection mm-hmm. of the wizarding world. Yeah. Yeah, and and this kind of lends to what I was thinking about as far as think about the number of people that are at this trial. Harry said there must have been fifty people there. You're telling me that you notified fifty people the morning of the trial that it was going to be changing its time and location. This thing was definitely, you know, figured out at least the night before. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because otherwise you'd have some of those people would be like like sneaking in last minute with a coffee. You know, they're normal people, too, and none of them were late. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was kind of cool that J.K. Rowling kind of secretly introduced Umbridge. She she said, on Fudge's right was another witch, but she was sitting so far back on the bench that her face was in the shadow. So please hold for reveal. She will come about at the perfect moment. Also, an important note is that the other witch sitting next to Fudge on the other side is wearing a monocle, and that which we need to know more about. <laughs> I want to learn about monocle witch. <laughs> well, it wasn't isn't that Madame Bones? That was the impression yes. I got. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. okay. She's the good. I one. like Madame Bones even more now. She has a monocle. <laughs> <laughs> She's in the light. She's the good one. Umbridge is in the dark. She's the bad one. Ah, symbolism. There is symbolism here that I wanted to point out because Umbridge is at Fudge's right hand, like you said, Andrew. <gasps> oh, the right hand of Fudge, like. She's his main enforcer uh, Ah. in this campaign of evil. Yeah. Shout out to all the righties out there. (laughs) (laughs) It's also very important to note, we we haven't discussed that Fudge is not wearing his trademark lime green bowler. Mm. He's very serious for this trial, (laughs) so he's not wearing hats off. (laughs) I want to know who uh, Dumbledore's fan club is, though. Those two witches that kind of wave hello to him when he walks in. Well, yeah, he's the best. (laughs) Madam Bones really likes him, too, I think. Yeah, and we'll talk yeah. about this more throughout the chapter. But she's really she takes the whole trial very uh, fairly. She's she protects Harry here. She does. Mm-hmm. But uh, I also thought it was kind of funny that so Harry takes a seat, and then as roll call is taking place, Dumbledore quote strides in with a perfectly calm expression. And I thought if this was going to be adapted for the movies, he should have come in a lot more angrily. And done a big old witness for the defense. <laughs> Me. Uh, I am not calm. Is he witness, though? Or is he Harry's lawyer? He is Harry's lawyer. He is Harry's lawyer. 
dumb lawyer. Yeah, but he does call himself a witness, which is strange mm-hmm. because he wasn't there. Well, I assume he's kind of just following Wizengamut procedure. Mm. He's allowed to bring a witness for the defense, but in this case, he is a lawyer. I love that Dumbledore's sort of clout, which is touched on in this in this chapter, just the fact that he strides in and, and is able to join the proceedings sort of officially, means that he's a witness wherever he goes. He's a witness to his own life. Like, he just can speculate openly about somebody else's experience. And the whole Wizengamo is like, hmm, yeah, hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. That's a matter of uh, law now, or public record. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Amelia Bones before. Um, <laughs> Dumbledore mentions that he got to the ministry three hours early by luck. I'm just curious. Do you think maybe she, she tipped him off? Given the events of this chapter and how well... Madam Bones and Dumbledore kind of play off of one another. I would say yes, absolutely. I don't for one second buy that Dumbledore was just happened to be, you know, around three hours soon. Dumbledore expected this. And even though he spent most of the year so far avoiding Harry, he is still, as we find out, kind of really, really up to date as to what bullcrap the unit the the government is trying to pull as it pertains to harry yeah yeah that was the impression i got too dumbledore knew that they were going to do this and that line actually made me laugh out loud (laughs) that he arrived three hours very good one hour seems like enough but three is just extreme (laughs) and we also know that he has a minimum of three fans on that panel so i think it is safe to say that at least somebody Gave him a hint, a nod and a wink. Mm-hmm. I would love if it was a completely innocuous thing. Like Dumbledore did just happen to be there early for some other meeting. And then he was walking through the hallway. And then one of his fans was like, hey, see you at the trial in three hours. Yeah. <laughs> and they was like, what? By the way, love your work. I thought that was supposed to be tomorrow. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Laura, you kind of touched on this, but... Did they think that providing Harry this late notice that it would get him to use magic and would get him into even further trouble? Oh, I think so. I mean, we can see that they are scolding him for being late, even though it's really not his fault. And so had he been on time, I think they would have scolded him for arriving using magic. Mm -hmm. And that is something that Arthur Weasley tried to prevent against, right? Arthur Mm -hmm. had the... I mean, I'm sure maybe somebody told him, but Arthur had the good sense of, no, we should come by the the underground, use the visitor entrance. It'll look good. But by the time they get here and they find that the meeting has been changed and it's in this different court and this different floor and this different time and everything, I, I just it's shocking and very jarring how far ahead the ministry is thinking like it's sweet that Arthur was like, oh, we shouldn't use magic and try and try and make it look good. But they don't care about any of that. They are here to screw Harry up, to actively change his well-being and to arrest him and expel him and like get at his livelihood. Like this is so insidious. And let's not forget that the chapter opens up and he's only 15 years old. He's walking into a room where he knows that Death Eaters have been tried and he's made to sit down in this chair that has shackles on the side of it that he's worried at any time are going to come up and like secure him down to the chair. Yeah. And they tremble. They jiggle a little bit when he sits. (laughs) It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. They're ready to bite. 
this whole book just makes you feel sick with Umbridge's detentions and Dumbledore ignoring him and the ministry setting him up for failure. This is just one of those perfect chapters that the chapter is perfect in that you feel for Harry so badly and you just feel sick to your stomach. And I still remember how awful I felt reading this book for the first time. And yet I loved it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think what makes it feel so gross is that I think this book has the most relatable form of evil in the whole series. Mm -hmm. Like everyone in their life at some point has been through an abuse of power or even not evil, just the Dumbledore situation, like being ignored by someone you loved. I think that that's what makes Umbridge such a compelling villain is that we all know an Umbridge. We all know someone that used some sort of position of power, importance, whatever to, you know, be unjust towards other people. Whereas Voldemort's a little harder to relate to because not everyone knows of Voldemort, hopefully. So I, I think that's what makes this book really compelling in, in certain ways is that you can really feel for Harry because a lot of people have been through a similar feeling that he's going through. And especially with this, like, yeah, sure, we haven't been in like unjust trials, but I've, I'm, we've all been in situations where, you know, you feel uncomfortable or out of place or on ease. And then thankfully, Dumbledore comes in and, and relieves that stress from his life. Yeah. And I wanted to mention there's a, the book says a powerful emotion had risen in Harry's chest at the sight of Dumbledore. So it's like a chest monster precursor. Ooh, yeah. uh, it says a fortified, hopeful feeling rather like that which Phoenix song gave him. So here's another connection making connecting Dumbledore to the Phoenix to what Fox does probably back in Chamber of Secrets when Harry is loyal to Dumbledore there's there's something very weird going on between Harry Dumbledore love and phoenixes mm. are you gonna is... write that fan fiction <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got a long list of fanfic to write now but uh yeah probably probably will but I mean given the new recent uh crimes of Grindelwald Fantastic Beasts connections between the Dumbledore family and phoenixes it's not a coincidence there is something going on with yeah, Harry and Dumbledore. And when the trial begins, and this goes back to what I was just saying about the ministry setting Harry up for failure, Fudge states the charges, but he never tries to guess why Harry was, was conjuring a Patronus in the first place. And that bugs me so much. He's just ready to prosecute him without trying to even guess why he was doing it. I guess the assumption is that is that Harry was just conjuring a Patronus for fun. Which makes no sense. I mean, maybe they just thought it was like a big flex. They're like, oh, Harry learned how to do Patronus before people normally can do it. So now he's showing muggles. Right. Who, which is such a weird situation because no muggle is going to know what magic is hard to do yeah. or impressive to do. It's very silly. And they, and they know he was with his cousin who hates magic. So he would not be doing it in uh -huh. front of him. Yeah, that's the other thing is Dudley, okay, the breaking the statute of secrecy, sure, 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 that's uh, totally a thing, should be a law, right? It's on the book. But Dudley kind of gets a pass because Dudley already knows about Harry. Dudley has already been on the receiving end of a spell a couple of years ago that another wizard performed on him. Like the Dursleys, their memories are not wiped. They are, to some reasonable extent, tangentially associated with the wizarding world because they house this wizard every year and so certain muggles that you do magic in front of shouldn't count against the breaking the statute of secrecy oh yeah right that makes sense like yeah like what no harm is being done well and legally they they 
it, like nothing can be done. The ministry has decided not to actively wipe their minds after every summer visit that Harry like to make them forget they even have a nephew or a cousin. So the logical thing is like, well, they already know the magical world exists or very, very close to it. So doing magic in front of them isn't as big of a deal as the ministry is making it seem by prosecuting Harry here. Yeah. Mm. That's a really interesting point because if you go back to the last two times, right, the magic was used in front of muggles who weren't the Dursleys. You had the Masons and then you had Aunt Marge. And right. so this time, though, it's just Dudley. There's no one of his friends that are around or anything like that. So that's that's actually a really interesting point that Harry shouldn't have really been reprimanded in that case. Mm. Mm -hmm. But again, they were looking for any reason to get him so yeah i don't think it would have mattered what it was they were probably just waiting most of the summer for harry to do something yeah whether it was an another emotional outburst kind of like aunt marge in book three or something like this that was more deliberate i think they were waiting for their opportunity to pounce and harry wasn't doing anything so umbridge said let me send the dementors <laughs> to town <laughs> right. and what was ultimately her goal what was it for Harry to use magic or was it for Harry to get to die? I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't it, go it was, as was... far as dying, but I think for this exact situation to occur, so they could prosecute him so they could, um, you know, embarrass him and get him kicked out of Hogwarts and to continue discrediting him. I just love that Umbridge's sort of reckless plan to create a catastrophe that would discredit Harry and serve in the ministry's favor comes so close to being undone by Dumbledore's pointing out the mere fact that the ministry still says they control the Dementors. So if there was a Dementor, it was sent. Right. It's a perfect argument. Oh, yeah. It really is. And to that point... So Dumbledore comes in and he's serving as Harry's lawyer here. And it's fantastic to see because Dumbledore is ready. Whereas Harry, we'll talk about this in a moment, but we'll probably, <laughs> would probably not be able to win this without Dumbledore's help. So thank God he's there. And he's, you know, he introduces his witness, Miss Fig. And uh, she starts off with a weak description. She, she doesn't seem very confident during her testimony, but she gets the feelings right. And that seems to convince most of the panel that she is legitimate and um but but she's not registered i feel strongly about this because laura made this amazing point when we were discussing the first two chapters about uh fig and and the fact that the ministry doesn't seem to have a record of her and i didn't remember that until getting to this chapter and i was like oh yeah they actually say this she's like the ministry didn't know she was living on private drive and my question is, so a squib is somebody with wizard parents who, by all accounts, should have magic but doesn't. Um, therefore, like, why isn't the ministry aware that a child of magical parentage has been born? Like, what about the quill that writes your name down and then sends you a Hogwarts letter when you turn 11? Is it just not turned on? Like, do you know somebody is going to be a squib the second that they're born, that they have no magical blood in their veins after all? And if so, what are uh, things like quick spell courses playing at? Because somebody like Filch can never, ever, I mean, if he's not, if his name wasn't even written down in the book when he was born. So my question is like, when do you become a like when do you 
when is it sure that 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 you're a squib and how can you still like see Hogwarts and stuff like Neville talks about being it being his parents like thought he was the squib because he he waited until I don't know 10 years old to really display some magic but you know I, I just I'm now I'm all in on figuring out the nuance of how the ministry treats their non-magical magical family counterparts I think at best it's unconscious bias um, sort of playing out the hierarchy that the ministry has established in terms of magical beings and who they think is important. And at worst, it's just straight up bigotry. Mm. They don't think squibs are important, so they don't register them. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy because squibs seem to bypass all the can-see magical things, like you you could take a squib to Hogwarts. Argus Filch is there every day. Like, so there is like kind of a security breach by ignoring these people. There should be like a sorting hat or something to determine if somebody is actually a wizard or not. You shouldn't have to wait around for them to accidentally cast a spell <laughs> through some wandless magic. I did think it was just so interesting, though, getting to Fig's testimony that J.K. Rowling should make it so that she pretty much did not, in fact, see the Dementors. Yes. Like, it's... That's a weird choice because you could have it where Fig saw the Dementors and they just don't believe her because she's like batty and old or whatever. But the idea that Fig would come to the rescue in, in chapter one and go, oh, put that thing away, you know, boy, I know all about your world, to then have her actually not having been able to have seen them is just a weird flex on J.K. Rowling's part to make it a little bit more things stacked against Harry. So I'm kind of undecided on this. Did she see them or, or didn't she? Maybe she did see them, but she's just so nervous that she's screwing up her testimony. Yeah, I I tend to think that's the case. Um, also just because she's somebody who grew up in the wizarding world, but she never had the ability to exercise any kind of power. So whereas she might be able to see things, it could just be that it's harder for her to conceive of them and how they work Mm -hmm. because she would never have the ability to, for example, fight a Dementor. Mm. So she's just doing the best she can to describe what she saw. And I think the biggest tripping point for her was where she said the Dementors were running Mm. And that was probably in a moment of nervousness. She's trying to convey they were moving rapidly. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, though, a running Dementor, I think, is scarier than a gliding yeah. Dementor. Ooh, those ghosts have I legs. Th- like, imagine that big thing running. Yeah. That would be <laughs> okay, but, but like, take but take like the the Scream movies and have Mister Ghostface like f- gliding instead of running, and that's scarier. Right. Yeah, I think it's I think it's more of subverting your expectations. Right. If you're taking a human who is supposed to run and you make it glide, that's creepy. If you take a thing that you know that glides and now you're making it running, now it's creepy because it's more frantic. Right. Yeah, kind of like the ring or whatever. And they just yeah. have what, like night mm. black legs and shoes or are they running barefoot? <laughs> they wear they definitely. Nikes? It has to be no, barefoot vans. Special I was going to say they have Crocs. <laughs> they would wear Crocs. Oh, Crocs. <laughs> <laughs> They have, like, orthopedic, really comfortable <laughs> shoes. Like, we have to cover so much ground. My back is killing me. Have you ever seen a Dementor sit down? Mm. They need comfortable footwear. Yeah, sh- That's show true. Little... They're on their feet all day. Sucking out God. all the souls. <laughs> um, Giving all the kisses. Speaking about shoes and stuff, the, the fact that Dumbledore comes in 
and he's going to be the lawyer. It's always important for me to remember that he was the head of the Wizengamot, so they all have to be so terrified, and this is why Fudge is so shook, because he was the top dog. Yeah. And then now he's coming in as the lawyer. It'd be like if you're playing pickup basketball and then LeBron James shows up and he's like, yeah, I'm going to play with Harry. And everyone's like, oh, no, you're the basketball guy. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. He's supreme mugwump of uh, the International Mm -hmm. Confederate of Wizards. Like Dumbledore, ins and outs, Dumbledore knows the government, knows the way that they work. And that's something that's not entirely... I mean, it's conveyed by his actions, but there's no follow-up scene where he's, like, talking to Harry and going, I know how they work. Like, I know how their minds think. I got you. Right. I don't know. And then maybe this is influenced too much by the film, but I've always felt that Mrs. Fig's testimony was rehearsed and yes. that she didn't really see the Dementors. Though, I also wonder, are there varying degrees of squibs? Because you mentioned Filch earlier, who works at Hogwarts, clearly he can see peeves he you know is working at a magical school um so it's hard to say but i just i don't buy her testimony and quite honestly i'm surprised that fudge and or umbridge let it go on for as long as it does because it's just not all that convincing i think what what i always got out of it was that she knows what happened but i always imagine is like she she knows enough about magic to know what dementors are and when she felt the cold and saw what Harry did and everything, she knew what was happening, but she couldn't see them. But I think I, I agree that I think that her description of them is a lie. And it's more of she was told because that's even what Harry says is that her description sounds like someone who read about Dementors, but has never seen one. So I, I could believe that her parents or someone else in her life told her what they were like. So she, for whatever reason, thought it would be more convincing if she described them from what she's heard rather than just say, oh, I'm scoob, so I didn't see him, but I felt it, so I know it was happening. That's how I always... It's kind of disastrous for Dumbledore, though, too, because he could have prepped her better. But maybe he did. And and to the other point that was raised earlier, maybe she's just really, really nervous to be in this setting, though. Sure. Um, I mean, I would almost argue that Petunia makes a better description of a Dementor in the first chapter than (laughs) Fig does here. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. That's true. Although I will say, I think that um, courtroom dramatizations set us up to think that everybody's really good at testifying. And that's just not the case. No, you're right. That's a good point. So I actually really appreciate that J.K. Rowling showed us this side of what it's like to be really, really nervous when you're testifying in a case where you really don't have a choice but to be there. Yeah. Get ready, kids. It's not easy when you have to go through this. (laughs) Um, The other thing that uh, I think maybe I I think exacerbates the situation is that I think it's clear that Fig is a plant uh, by Dumbledore on Privet Drive. The idea that the ministry had no inkling that she was there and now she's being called to testify on Harry's behalf by Dumbledore speaks to a kind of shadow – in 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 uh i don't want to say like a shadow government a shadow arrangement yeah. uh that dumbledore is very clearly watching harry uh, of his own accord using means that the ministry wouldn't have thought of like this is very incriminating to dumbledore not that dumbledore is committing a crime but it's it's actually pretty dangerous for dumbledore i think to trot fig out because uh it shows that he's actively subverting 
like the ministry can't be their own people at watching Harry. He is inserting himself and his own agents in there. So I think maybe Dumbledore does lose something like this might come at a little bit of personal cost for him to reveal some of the behind the scenes orchestrations of what he's got going on with Harry's protection. Yeah, but the alternative is that Harry gets expelled from Hogwarts and he can't keep a close eye on him for most of the year. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. But also Dumbledore just knows that Harry was wronged here. So he needs to write yeah, this horrible It's such wrong. a love-hate relationship because he's trying to avoid Harry at the same time. <laughs> like all yeah. year. He's a real dick to Harry this year. Mm. But he shows up to work his magic now. Right. But uh, Fudge mentions, though, that he's going to go check and make sure that Squibs can, in fact, see Dementors. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, not that it's going to matter. Well, and he was also like, you'll leave your detail- the details of your parentage with my secretary. We're going to verify that you're a Squib. Yeah. Well, he was caught off guard by Dumbledore introducing mm-hmm. his witness, and now he's just grasping at straws here yeah so there's a lot of back and forth between dumbledore and fudge particularly as it relates to hogwarts and what dumbledore has the authority to do or not to do and so i was wondering did you all think that fudge made the decision to implement umbrage at hogwarts before or after this trial i think right in this moment because fudge says oh not our business you think so that's a tease. <laughs> Dumbledore yeah. just poked the Pillsbury Doughboy, and he's not happy. <laughs> <Woo-hoo>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it was exactly in this moment. Yeah, I think it was probably just the interaction between how Umbridge and Dumbledore went that he came up with the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then moments later, Dumbledore says there is no law yet yet in place that says the court's job is to punish Harry. So Dumbledore was, he was, he was tempting them. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And this is also Fudge's way of being like, okay, well, I'm going to have somebody on your turf keeping an eye on Harry as well. And it's the woman in the shadows. Come on out. Take that. Rewind it back, Dumbledore. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I mean, there's a number of references to, the 2nd of August and what Fudge tried to do to Harry, which was not within his authority to do, right? It wasn't within his authority to expel him from Hogwarts, nor was it within his authority to take away his wand. So it just shows you the level of which the ministry is willing to go to, to really delegitimize Harry and and make him feel isolated very, very early on. I have a question uh, for the panel related to the ministry uh, thinking it has the ability to expel Harry from Hogwarts. So we remember in book two, Harry received the letter telling him that if any more underage magic was performed at Privet Drive, he would be expelled. And then the following year, the whole debacle with Aunt Marge happens. Fudge gives Harry the pat on the back and says, oh, my dear boy, we don't send people to Azkaban for blowing up their ants. How silly. It makes me wonder if Dumbledore intervened between books two and three to remind Fudge, like, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, you can't do that. Yeah. You can't threaten to expel our students. Possibly. But wasn't Fudge in book three also trying to be nice to Harry? So I I think... Yeah, but I've got some connecting the threads that make me question his motivations there, and we'll talk about those at the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll get my spool ready. <laughs> so, Andrew, you wanted to know, would Harry have won 
without Dumbledore there. It seems yeah. highly unlikely. Yeah, that's going to be a big no. <laughs> I think a big factor what helped what helped Harry is that Fudge is absolutely shook yeah. by Dumbledore being there. From the moment Dumbledore walks in, I don't think Fudge says a single sentence without an M dash in there. <laughs> like he's it stutters and stammers and can't get over it. And he jumps from point A to point B and like all these other things. And he's trying to jump at any morsel of information that makes them look good, which even comes to bite him in the butt when they talk about the Dementors being sent by the Ministry. And then the only other thing Dumbledore can say is like, oh, well, unless the Ministry isn't controlling the Dementors and it's Voldemort. And now Fudge has to choose between which is worse. So, <laughs> yeah, I think so much of the success was that Dumbledore knew exactly how to poke Fudge's buttons, which got him all stressed out, which then made Harry get off. Yeah. And right before the verdict comes down... Harry is thinking to himself, oh, my God, this trial moved way too fast. I thought it was going to last longer. I should have told them about um, he said he had expected the hearing to last longer. He was not at all sure that he had made a good impression. He had not really said very much. He ought to have explained more fully about the Dementors, about how he had fallen over, about how both uh, he and Dudley had nearly been kissed. So I thought we could go through these, first of all. <laughs> this defense he wanted to tell them that uh he fell over how, how does that help explain i pinned my knee you it know hurt. that you don't fall over unless a dementor wearing shoes is coming towards you there's just <laughs> no way and then what did the dementors look like okay so fig kind of went there and, and that helped uh his other defense was they almost kissed me which like, would he have reenacted the kissing noises? <laughs> I'm thinking they sound like... <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I thought they sounded more like a oh, sucking no. sound, right? Because they sucked the soul out. Okay, so... So it's like... Like slurping the end of a milkshake. <laughs> yeah. Pretty pretty great that every single person is now unsubscribed from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> pretty impressive that you guys managed to do that in just seven seconds of audio. Oh, we're into ASMR. That's that's our thing. Yeah. <laughs> that would actually be a great parody video. It's like, here is the sound of a dementor sucking the soul. That's <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing you've ever heard. Just end up being like our Hannibal Lecter impression from Silence of the Lambs. Oh, that's, yeah, no, that is a thousand percent how they kiss. They just. Yep. There you go. <laughs> I haven't seen that, so I'm glad I kind of got it right. Oh, you should. We've basically recapped the whole film. That's all. That's all you really need to see. <laughs> so yeah, okay, we're all in agreement that Harry would not have won <laughs> without no, Dumbledore no there. No way. Oh gosh, no. We asked patrons; they said the same thing. Michael also commented that Harry needs the D, which I agree with. Ah. <laughs> All he right. does. He the, the Dumbledore. What does that stand the, for? The, the, the Dumbledore. The Dumbledore. Got it. Because right. it's not even his fault. Like I'm the first person to like laugh at how incompetent and ill-equipped Harry Potter is to face the reality, just the most basic world surrounding him. But the government wants him gone, and there's nothing that one boy can be expected to do. So, like, I don't blame him at all. But you know, this is just awful. What about a bit of Veretta serum? Couldn't that have solved this whole thing? Yeah, there's got to be. I feel like, okay, if this were the real world and if this were like 2019, there would be a group of like anti-vax people 
but like they are their anti-veridiserum that are like fighting for the for how veridiserum is inhumane because it like bypasses humans free will and so this tiny little technicality would happen to work in the ministry's favor because then they'd be like no we can't just give him veridiserum to prove that he was right because it's now being viewed as inhumane uh and those talks are still ongoing so we can't do it but otherwise yeah use magic to Give him some actual truth serum. This is what I've never understood. I feel like I think J.K. Rowling has said something about her to serum, whereas maybe it's just a poor analogy of like a polygraph test where it doesn't always work. I feel like she said something where like you can use magic to overcome it. But regardless, I've said this on my show, on many other podcasts, is that there should be a wizard CSI that uses time turners to just observe crimes. Mm. So not necessarily go back in time and change the past or whatever, Mm. but like immediately after a crime happens, because with this, they see the alert and they know that, Oh, Harry's used magic in a muggle town, get some wizard to go back an hour and travel there and then hide so that no one can see them and then watch it. And then you go back and then you go, Oh no, no, no. I went back an hour and there was a Dementor. It's chill. I don't understand why they didn't do that for this. I don't understand why they didn't do this for the serious black slash Peter Pettigrew situation. There's so many instances where it boggles my mind that time turners, like that time turners exist. They won't use them for this, but yeah. Oh, there's this, you know, 13 year old girl that wants to take, multiple classes at the same time we can't just change the schedule let's give her a time turner i just don't i don't understand (laughs) the ministry would not have given harry veritaserum because they didn't want to know the truth but maybe dumbledore could have Mm -hmm. brought veritaserum there and just forced it down harry's throat yeah but then they wouldn't they wouldn't have trusted it it would have because you the don't veritaserum so? came from dumbledore they would have been like oh that's fake news veritaserum <laughs> fake veritaserum it, yeah. it just makes harry say what dumbledore wants him to no, say really i mean for something like veritaserum would ruin the court trial and proceedings because it would be flawless you know presumably but I, i'm interested i think maybe there is something jk rowling said once about overcoming it but mm lost well, or maybe in trials like this you have a right to defend yourself without veritaserum maybe that's just a law <laughs> we can't force the truth yeah but if you suck at it so badly it's like okay i, I have it's like uh requesting trial by combat yeah. to like prove your guilt or innocence like oh i request veritaserum will clear my name yeah yeah. But, yeah well one of the things i was wondering though is do you think he's acquitted because they don't believe that the punishment fits the crime or they actually believe what Harry is saying. Because again, just going back to Mrs. Fig, going back to, you know, some of the things that Fudge brings up. I mean, let's face it. These aren't that compelling of stories. You know, Harry's like, Oh, back in chamber of secrets, the house elf did it. And in, you know, prisoner of Azkaban, I accidentally blew up my aunt, you know, like, it sounds like things a 15-year-old kid would make up. So I'm not overly compelled by Dumbledore's argument here. And I'm wondering if, you know, the Wizengamo is really too. I I guess I wonder as well um, if those of them who have more common sense would think, well, if these uh, infractions were such a big deal, why was nothing done about them at the time? Why are we holding him accountable for past behavior now? Um, that's not how trials work. Um, also, I think Dumbledore probably still holds some clout with most of the board. I have a feeling that it was a few um, higher ranking members that pushed him out at Fudge's, you know, urging. So, And 
it was noted eric mentioned earlier in the chapter about uh, dumbledore coming in and harry being really excited about this and i wanted to talk about this again because it's noted twice that harry's heart has swelled to an unnatural size he's so happy that dumbledore is there and harry is speaking romantically about him he's talking about dumbledore striding serenely in the long midnight blue robes and, and he's perfectly calm and his hair gleamed in the torchlight like you have a fanfic you would like to write andrew it's it's like <laughs> oh Dumbledore's here but then this feel by the end of this chapter it feels like a date gone wrong because Harry's so <laughs> happy they're back together this is going well Dumbledore just saved my butt and then at the end of the date Dumbledore pulls the rug out by reminding Harry that he's actually going to continue avoiding him because he peels out of there really quick and Dumbledore gives him a kind of I'll call you Harry <laughs> yeah see you later it's just so sad because Harry's ecstatic in this moment, but then also bummed out again because Dumbledore is gone again yeah. without even looking at him. Before we continue with chapter by chapter, including our thoughts on how bad Umbridge was this week, it's time to tell you about this week's sponsor, Bad Batch. Every day in the United States, hundreds of thousands of people have to make decisions about their health, treating diseases, managing pain. It can be scary and it can be life-changing. But what happens if you're offered a supposed miracle cure and you end up worse off than before? If you listened to Wondery's Dr. Death, you heard about 33 patients in Texas who went in for surgery and had their lives forever changed by an incompetent doctor. Host and reporter Laura Beal broke that story open and now she is reporting on another important story, stem cell therapy and a bad batch that gave a group of patients disastrous results. The new podcast, Bad Batch, will investigate the multi-million dollar underregulated industry of stem cell therapy where greed and desperation collide. This is an industry that claims to treat pain, autoimmune diseases, infections, and even autism. It's a cautionary tale and an important listen. And this is by Wondery. They are a wonderful network of podcasts. They really bring these stories to life, and they are extremely well-researched. You can subscribe to Bad Batch on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. There's also a link in our show notes. Check it out. And thank you, Bad Batch, for sponsoring this week's episode. So we're keeping track of how many times Umbridge sucks throughout the book. We're currently at four times so far, but this tally is going to go up by two today. Uh, one for changing the time of the trial. We didn't talk about this, but I feel like she's probably to blame for that, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What do you say, Laura? Oh, I said, yeah, I accept it. Uh, okay. I believe it. Does she, get, does she get one for time and location, or is that two? <laughs> Sure. Let's yeah, I want this another. number as high as possible. No, no, so. no. no. I, she's done. She did, she commits so many horrible things in the future. We can keep it a little lower now. I think two. Always, is, I mean, uh, Eric's I mean, such a buzzkill. She's at four already, <laughs> and she. Had, this is the first time we even see her. Yeah, but we can't. Yeah, we can't actually pin. She definitely got the ball rolling here, but we don't know. There, there are so many corrupt uh, intentions coming from the ministry on mass that i don't think you can actually pin this strictly on umbridge like all right so we'll split the difference so just one there yeah. and then no, another no, point let, let for mike decide please okay mike i think i think let's just keep it at one because yeah. it'll be okay. more dramatic to see how sharply it rises graphs are always fun when they explode up so if you keep it lower before we get to Umbridge being the worst, then you'll see a huge 
increase in the slope of the line graph. So I say keep it low for now. Don't grasp at straws. Okay. And then one more point for pretending that she didn't send the Dementors to Little Winging. She did shudder a little bit when Dumbledore brought that up because she is guilty. So that's an extra two points. That's one. And that's two. Okay. Mm. So, Laura, why don't you connect some threads for us? What... What did you find? Yeah. So, Mike, we like to do this segment on the show called Connecting the Threads, where we believe that uh, in the Harry Potter series, Goblet of Fire is sort of the centerpiece. And there are threads that correspond to books three and five, two and six, and one and seven. So since we're doing Order of the Phoenix right now, we're looking back to Prisoner of Azkaban for threads to connect. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of the first ones that I found was Fudge's Sudden Changes of Heart in these books. So in Prisoner of Azkaban, after Harry arrives at the Leaky Cauldron on the night bus, he's going back and forth with Fudge about what punishment he's going to get for blowing up his Aunt Marge. And he says, last year I got an official warning just because a house elf smashed a pudding in my uncle's house. The Ministry of Magic said I'd be expelled from Hogwarts if there was any more magic there. And then Fudge, being all reasonable, says, circumstances change, Harry. We have to take into account... In the present climate, surely you don't want to be expelled. And then in this trial in Order of the Phoenix, Fudge like blows up and goes, I suppose you've forgotten the hover charm he used three years ago. To which Harry <laughs> says, that wasn't me. It was a house elf. And Fudge freaks out and goes, you see a house elf in a muggle house. And then in Prisoner of Azkaban, he's kind of talking Harry down off of this whole high on blowing up his Aunt Marge. And he says, oh, Harry, we don't send people to Azkaban just for blowing up their ants. Don't be silly. And then in this trial, he blew up his aunt for God's sake. <laughs> 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 and then this was really interesting. There's some great dialogue uh, between the trio in Prisoner of Azkaban when Harry is sort of filling Ron and Hermione in on everything that happened with Aunt Marge and his conversation with Fudge. And Hermione says, honestly, I'm surprised Harry wasn't expelled. Harry said, so am I. Forget expelled. I thought I was going to be arrested. Mm. Your dad doesn't know why Fudge let me off, does he? And then Ron says, probably because it's you, isn't it? Hmm. What I find interesting about this is that because it's Harry in Order of the Phoenix, Fudge is doing the exact opposite thing now. Yeah. Yeah. They've, I mean, the whole we don't send people to Azkaban for blowing up their aunts is to cover up for his own gross incompetence that they've lost a prisoner who actively wants to murder Harry. Like they, they, you know, they know that there's this huge criminal who's straight up. The one thing he has publicly vowed to do is kill Harry Potter now, uh, as far as they know, and they've let him loose in the world and can't find him. And that's why fudge is like nicey, nicey. And now on the flip side of things, their one goal is to discredit Harry because it serves them politically to do so. And that's why, you know, Fudge is just ruthless. But bringing up the blowing up aunt, bringing up the house elf is completely it's untouchable because each case was viewed on merit at the time. And the ministry made the appropriate, you know, decisions to deal with that, how they did each time. You can't bring up the past in this way. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just Fudge always doing an abuse of power for whatever he's looking to do. He stretches the rules in the third book to keep Harry 
safe so that they can get to serious, et cetera. And then now it's the reverse is that he's trying to be overly stringent on rules that is something that people should be allowed to fight off dementors if they attack them. But now he's trying to go the other direction. So I think it's it's just consistent that Fudge is corrupt and just tries to use his position, the ministry, et cetera, to get to an end. And in this particular mm-hmm. book, the end is anti-Harry, whereas in book three, it's the flip and it's pro-Harry. Right. Mm-hmm. And this all just goes back to Fudge being insecure in his position. Oh, yeah. um, We know that he has always felt really insecure about Dumbledore because so many people wanted Dumbledore to be the Minister of Magic. Mm -hmm. And so he's always felt kind of upstaged by Dumbledore. And he'll do anything he can to discredit whatever the number one undesirable is at the moment. It just so happens that in book five, Harry is undesirable number one. Mm -hmm. Um, And then finally, what I thought was interesting, and this is a smaller one, but in Prisoner of Azkaban, the Ministry actually provides cars to transport Harry and everybody else to King's Cross for Harry's safety. And then here in Order of the Phoenix, we see Fudge deliberately working to undermine Harry and get him expelled from Hogwarts, Hmm. possibly and, well, definitely compromising his safety. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Thanks for finding those for us. And now it's time for MVP of the week. I'm going to give it to Madam Bones for being the one fair one up there. It was nice seeing somebody who looks like she was on Harry's side and just taking the whole trial seriously. Yeah. Other than Dumbledore. Yeah, she's the first person who was like, wait a minute, stop. Hold the show. You can do a full Patronus? That's impressive. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Oh, and yes, Dumbledore, he does have the right to have a witness here. Totally. Go for it. <laughs> and I love that Fudge even tries to put it down when they're giving Harry praise for doing a full Patronus. Fudge is like, well, the fact that he can do it is actually worse. Like, shut up, Fudge. Get out of here. <laughs> well, you mentioned earlier um, giving Harry the D. Uh, Doreen Fig coming through in the clutch. <laughs> yeah. Harry needed that Doreen Fig for sure. Yep. She uh, she helped save the day for Harry. So. I think Michael meant Dumbledore, but sure. Well, Never know. <laughs> That's the best kind of humor that can still be funny to kids if they don't totally get it. <laughs> yeah, we're a family show, Mike. I don't know if we told you that, but <laughs> I, I've I've gotten that can vibe. You tell? When, I don't think when it's people very said this in this episode. <laughs> it's it's always fun to see the words that start as a curse word and then thankfully develop in other things. I believe someone at some point said, like, yeah, he's up to these sh- Yeah, I'm going to give it to Dumbledore's fan club. I just really appreciated that they showed that support for him when he came into the courtroom. And I think it kind of helped thaw the atmosphere enough to move the needle a bit. And they may have helped him make the meeting in time. So that's good, too. Yep. Uh, I give my MVP of the week to Karma. (laughs) They're putting some real energy into the world here. And uh, we know that it kind of, although it's a slow, long, arduous this book process to some kind of actual resolution. And by the time you get there, there's a bad taste in your mouth because Sirius has just inexplicably died. They are like JK Rowling is keeping track of the points here. And I think that it's very fascinating to watch the ministrations of each of these characters arcs work and serve the purpose in the greater overall plot. I like reading a chapter like this that's very meticulously designed to um, show you these characters in the moment living, trying to do what each of them thinks is best. I didn't know. 
did you say Yusuf Kama? Is that what that says? No, Karma. <laughs> karma. The, oh. the 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 concept. Of I, like, karma. I didn't know he was around. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Definitely my... not a person named Karma. That would be different. <laughs> maybe maybe there's a house elf named Karma. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! In like the hippiest uh, pure blood house of all time. <laughs> yeah, Xenophilius Lovegoods. How yes. uh, <laughs> self is named Karma. Well, his wife so, is named Pandora. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, so I pick for the MVP. Uh, Micah will be familiar with this, but I I'm a, a huge basketball fan, and and I like to take MVP very much in the light that they do, where you think of if you remove this player from the team. How will the rest of the team fare? <laughs> and if you take Dumbledore out of this trial, it's much like if LeBron left the Cavaliers when the second best player was Zodruskis Illigowskis. And that's basically Mrs. Fig where LeBron can come in and he can make these scrub level basketball players look good. I think Dumbledore has done the same thing where he comes into the mix. He is great on his own. He elevates the game of harry and mrs fig and without him they would have stumbled and be awful like look at even their their moments where harry's like oh i stubbed my toe uh and mrs fig is like yeah they run so dumbledore it, without him this would have come crashing and crumbling down and it would have much been like the the not anytime lebron was not on the cavaliers yeah. all right and now let's rename the chapter Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 8, Dumbledore versus Wizengamot. And I think it would just be so cool if you turn the page and you see this chapter title and you're like, oh, shenanigans, Dumbledore's mm. coming back. <laughs> it's going to be a big old battle. <laughs> uh, I went with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 8. Why did I wake up early for this? <laughs> Cornelius. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, do you have my? I'm ready. I'm ready. Thank you. Okay, cool. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter Eight. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I went with uh, something similar. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter Eight, Wizard Court. Mm-hmm. Law and Wizard. Very, very good. Yeah, I, I went a little different direction. I'm calling it uh, Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix Chapter 8. His middle name is Brian? <laughs> Nobody talked about this? What an Albus Percival Wolfric Brian. Dumbledore. I need... I have a list of if I ever talk to J.K. Rowling, there will be... I will only ask her the most ridiculous questions. And right at the top is like, okay, what bet did you lose that you had to make his second from the last name Brian? It keeps him down to uh, earth. <laughs> you know you know how parents will sometimes give their kids like if they give their kids a really like uh, ridiculous first name they give them a more normal middle name so they can fall back on it if they (laughs) They want maybe (laughs) yeah they they were like you know what like he might need a normal name at some point so somewhere in this list of like six different names he has let's just give him like a normal muggle one The people I talked to, the authors of the ultimate unofficial guide uh, to the mysteries of Harry Potter, seem to think it was a Monty Python reference. Oh, they were, oh, they were you Brian. know what? Pretty convinced I bet it is. the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. He's just a naughty boy born next door. <laughs> like, well, also there are a number of Monty Python references throughout the books. So, hmm. I think and there's that Monty Python out. actors in the films. So. Yep. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Here's a question, just timeline wise, since I was not in the fandom at this point. When did the third movie come out? Was that before or after this book? 2004, and then the book, book five came out in 2003. Yeah. 
Okay, because in I've been doing the movie episodes of Potterless, and I think they they talk about Brian being his name in the third movie. I think there's some point in the film where they bring that mm. up, uh, which is very interesting, interesting because, like, we know about it, yes, timeline-wise, but if you're going by the book thing, we didn't learn it in the book until book five, but it's brought into movie three. So I was wondering, it would have been very cool if the book wasn't out yet, and maybe J.K. Rowling in the writer's room was like, hey, guys, guess what? I'm going to do this cool thing in the fifth book where his fourth name is brian <laughs> feel free to use that if you really want to <laughs> this is super crucial to later books she said and steve clovis is like okay i'll work it in do you think <laughs> it was given by his parents or do you think that he gave it to himself because i've always it always seems like it, it's a muggle name right kind of so I, it's it or it's the one that stands out the most from all sure. the others so i've always thought like just given who dumbledore is or who he becomes that it would be very Dumbledore-esque to kind of take a muggle middle name. Yeah. Maybe he... Maybe in the Fantastic Beasts franchise, <laughs> he's going to go through a period uh, where he's like moonlighting uh, as a muggle and his name is Brian. <laughs> That'll be way better than the crap movies we've been getting from this series. <laughs> he goes into Gosh. like a gay yeah. bar. And You're preaching to the choir. <laughs> he goes into a gay bar and he's, then somebody's like, hey man, what's your name? And he doesn't want to say Albus, so he's like, Brian. <laughs> oh, that, that'd be great. He like looks at the TV and there's a a, a baseball game yeah. on and Brian McCann is batting. And there's oh Brian. A, a cheesy lawyer commercial. <laughs> Call Brian today. <laughs> Brian, my name's Brian. I would also love to live in a world where that's his pet name. You know, he's dating whoever, and then oh, they Brian. call him Brian as like the cute couple Brian, name. Brian, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next time I'm in a gay bar, I'm going to say my name is Brian. If you have any feedback about today's discussion, send it on in, mugglecast at gmail.com. You can also send a voice memo to that email address or use the contact form mug at mugglecast.com. You can also call us, 1-920-3-MUGGLE. That's 1-920-368-4453. It's almost time for Quizage, but I wanted to let everybody know that Eric and I went to another Harry Potter trivia night here in Chicago a few days ago. And we got third place out of like 29 teams. Hey. Yeah. It was nice. hard, you guys. It was, it was hard. It was a little question. What was the hardest question? Scorpius Malfoy's middle name. He doesn't have a middle name. That's what I know. thought. That's what I said. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's uh, what was it? Like it's so bad. Yeah, Hyperion. Hyper <laughs> uh, Hi Scorpius Hyperion? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Draco can't be a father anymore. You like you should call Child Protective Services <laughs> if you've named your kid Scorpius Hyperion. I don't know where the hell it came from, but I feel like once it was said, I feel and that was the wager question involved getting his thing right. And if we had gotten it completely right, because they asked for full names of characters, then we would have won. And we didn't, so we didn't. But and, and I, I, the quiz master just clearly was not a Harry Potter fan, which happens from time to time. Like, for example, she kept calling Thestrals thresholds. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be careful with those thresholds. And then, and there was a, you can only see them if you've seen death. And then there was, right. And then there was a question about Potter Watch. The, the radio show, right, in Deathly Hollows, and she called it Pottercast. And I'm like, I tweeted Pottercast. I was like, hey, guys, you got some free promo because this quiz master doesn't know what it's doing. <laughs> I will say, like, we've been, and we've been to this exact uh, brain bashed, I want to say, yeah. trivia before, but this time it was, it was really flawed because the entire first round was fan art and said, identify these character pairs 
by this fan art. First of all, it's fan art. The interpretation yeah. is completely loose. And although we did very well in this round, only missing two, I just thought that's a, a the entire wrong place to start because an artist's interpretation is their own and nobody else's. Mm -hmm. And it's not like this is like the illustrated edition by Jim K that they're using. This is just fans from across the internet doing stuff. So I, right. I don't know. And I, and I question whether or not Andromeda Black was a ginger because she was totally, I thought it was Lily Weasley, but, or Lily, Lily Potter, but. And our team name was Potter No More. And we wrote rip in parentheses. Nice. I don't think anybody right. got that, but you know, we're You could have called it Potter Less. Yeah, that's <laughs> but then I would have sued you for millions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just wanted the pay tribute to Pottermore going away, and yeah, that would have been a good one. <laughs> it was a good anyway. What was last week's question, uh, Eric? Last week's quizage question was what is Cornelius Fudge's middle name? And I plan to do a deep dive on like name origins and what uh, uh what it means to be called this, but uh, Cornelius Fudge's middle name is, of course, Oswald. Uh, I think of Lee Harvey Oswald, who killed JFK, Ooh. really got in the way of some some good things. That's what I think of. But uh, anyway, the correct answer was submitted by many people. Welcome back, everybody who was playing. Yeah, Quizich. everybody it, participated, I noticed. <laughs> it had kind of fallen off uh, ever since we stopped naming every single person but i'm glad everybody's back so the winning answers were submitted by people including solar wind jacob zincula casper plays quizich from memory patches thoughts hollow wolf 13 dancing in the rain stacy zuverink and amanda loves liliqua so and 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 others. So to play what about this game, Count ravioli, <laughs> uh, you know, it might be in there somewhere. Um, so people who submitted the correct answer did so over to us on Twitter using hashtag Quizich and at replied MuggleCast. That is how you play. We do a tweet that uh, lists everyone's handle on Twitter once a week. Every time, once you get credited there, if we did not name your name on the show, next week's question. This is uh, designed to be a little messy, but here we go. What nickname does Malfoy give Harry while at the ministry? Hyperion. From I'm just going to, I'm going to guess Potter. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. That might, that might be, that might be halfway there, buddy. <laughs> Brian. <laughs> Brian. Be so good. I gotta give props to you guys. the The fact that you actually say if you if you have feedback about this episode, please email or call us. Bonkers. Oh, we're very high tech. That here. is yes. Oh, we have a hotline. You're so well. Just brave that you are actively welcoming criticism because I actively tell people please don't tweet corrections <laughs> at me, and I still get emails where the subject line is hem hem, and then people are like, um, you say it. it's like oh, oh, the my. most nitpicky things. Yeah, so power awful. to all of you <laughs> yeah you know people are very passionate and they want to get you know the correct information out there we do try to correct it of course we're always as you are working on right. the fly a lot of the time so we can't look things yeah. up when we're talking and so yeah we do try to yeah i think it's more of i think at least in my case is that if i post an episode and i've made a mistake within an hour of posting <laughs> every correction is there whereas i'll still get emails from episodes that released two and a half years uh -huh. ago and people will be like hey i just listened to episode 15 um you <laughs> 
<laughs> which was posted in 2016. Um, and, you know, you said you were confused about why they called Percy Weatherby. You said it wasn't close to, to Percy, but it's actually really close to Weasley, just in case no one's told you this. And then there'll usually be a follow up email. It's like, hey, just listen to episode 22 where you told people to stop emailing you this. <laughs> just wanted to apologize. <laughs> I retract my previous email. <laughs> Just like I, I, I love how detail oriented Harry Potter fans are. It's great, yeah. but it's like, guys, if the episode's more than an hour old, I've got it. <laughs> I've been brought up to yeah. speed, and I'm so sorry for all of my transgressions. <laughs> well, Mike, Mike has just revealed the secret that neither the email inbox or the phone line are valid whatsoever. We just read them out on each episode and. <laughs> It just it's an auto filter. Anything in the inbox goes straight no, to trash. No, no, we we read and reply to everything. So thank <laughs> you to everybody who does submit feedback, and also be sure to follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. It was great having you on. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad that I was able to to be on the show. Yeah. Now that I am a spoiler free boy, I was able to contribute and not have to preface this with, "Hey guys, I'm on book six, chapter twelve. <laughs> Please don't talk about anything after." So. No, I'm glad. And I've gotten to meet some of the team at different conventions, and that's been fun. Yeah. So I'm glad we could finally make this official yeah, in podcast. So we're, we're, yeah, this is fun. Yeah, where can we find you online? Sure. Uh, if you want to find the show that I do, Potterless, just search for it anywhere on any podcast or app or Spotify or whatever. Um, for Twitter, it's at Potterless Pod. Um, and then Instagram is Potterless Podcast. And then there's a Facebook group as well at facebook.com slash Potterless. So check it out there. It's very fun. Um, I'll post about the show or some memes sometimes. I've had a good run of some Twitter memes this week. So <laughs> if you need some comedic Harry Potter content in your life, come through Strong it. Strong meme game this week. That's always good. Yeah. I mean, Twitter yeah. just gives you gifts. And then uh, and sometimes those gifts are gifts. Uh, <laughs> right. And you just quote tweet them to delight. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you for your support. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm uh, Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Mike. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.